death has died and love has won. How's everybody doing tonight? It's good to see y'all. Everybody have a good week so far? Good. I did too. I had a very eventful day today. Um, we found out that a lot of people from Philly want to throw things at a pastor to dunk them into a tank. It's a lot of rage in that Cornerstone family. Um, and surprisingly on summer staff too. Um, yeah, we had a, we had a really, uh, really good week. A lot going on. Hopefully you did as well. Um, today I got to spend some time with my friends uh, over in Barbara's place. That was a good morning uh, today. Thanks for uh, hosting me and my wife there. I found out that Allie Lang makes incredible eggs. So that was, that was good too. Um, so tonight we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you want to turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 6. And we're gonna, we'll get there in a few minutes. So um, I wanted to just thank all you guys for having us this week. Uh, I want you to give it up again for Pastor Sam and all the messages he brought. You know, he, he, did, he did say something yesterday that I don't understand. He was talking about, like, the cool shoes that I wear. I don't know what he's talking about with that because I, I, I don't know what he means. I only brought a a few pairs with me this week. It wasn't as if I brought my entire collection. Um, we were talking about that this morning at Barbara's place. You, you have, my eyes have to pop when I'm up here. You know what I mean? So I need the shoes to work. No, but I, I do like sneakers and Sam knows I'm a sneakerhead. Um, but uh, I thank him for his grace and mercy and not making fun of me too much about that. So uh, Ephesians chapter six is where we are. We're gonna finish up tonight. You know, we said a phrase a lot this week. Um, we've said the phrase, but God, right? So I want to ask you a question, but God what? See, because my concern is we're going to take what we learned this week and we're going to come up with empty mantras instead of really getting deep down to what God wants. I want you to get into the word to the point that you know the answer to the question, the end of the phrase, but God what? What God has done that you're able to daily say, but God did this today, but God is moving in this way, that we don't just think that it's something that's, because some, the worst thing in the world is for us to take scripture and make it like football chants. But God, what? What is he gonna do? What's next for you? What's next for us? What's next on this journey for us? That's what I want to get into tonight because we are at war. The Apostle Paul ends his letter with a stark warning that you and I are at war. There's a story um, about a man by the name of, anybody ever heard of Benedict Arnold? Okay, not ex-Benedict, Benedict Arnold, right? Okay, so Benedict Arnold, so if you had to think of one word to describe Benedict Arnold, what's that word you'd use? Traitor, right? So he's been, he's been reviled, he's been discussed. He was basically what he's called is an unfaithful American for over 200 years. And even 200 years after his death, a new theory has come out that maybe unchanges the way people view him. And basically here's what he did, okay? He tried to smuggle a diagram of West Point, the fort of West Point on the Hudson River. He tried to smuggle it and to give it to a British officer by the name of John Andre, and they found out that he was going to do this. And so Benedict Arnold fled to the British side and became one of their officers, and this has never been forgotten by the American public. And so, like, by, on his deathbed, 
Benedict tells the story that basically he was more concerned that the French that was giving Americans all of this help, he was scared that if they helped us, that they would want us to be a French colony instead. And so his thinking was, if we let the British win, they may be a little bit nicer than the French, and one day we'll get our freedom, right? Not the best idea, but it kind of gives you an idea that he wasn't just like, I hate Americans, I want to be British. He was trying to do what he thought was best, right? Now, you may consider him a traitor, you may not, but what I'm trying to tell you is this, that the war is deeper than you think it is sometimes. There are a lot of things that sometimes we don't know about in a war. It's not just two sides coming to a line and fighting. There are a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. And for us in our spiritual life, I mean, there are a lot of things that we don't know or that we don't care about. There's this great chess match going on in spiritual places that you and I don't even imagine yet. And the things that we think are the things that that are destroying us are just the tip of the iceberg as to what exactly is going on. And so with all the things that we've learned this week about what it means to be believers, what it means to be Christians who are chosen, who are called, who are forgiven, who are eternally secure, what it means to have mutual submission and the light, like Sam talked about this morning in our lives, then dovetails into what it means for us to realize that there are some demands to spiritual warfare. So we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about how faith and we're going to talk how prayer puts this all together. And so the big, the big idea is this, from verse 10 to the end of the chapter, the idea is this, that we put on the full spiritual armor of God so that we're able to do what? Stand. And that we can stand against what? The spiritual war that the, that's against the, de- the devil throws against us. All right, so let's all stand and we're going to read... Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 10, and we'll go down to the end of the chapter, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into our final message for this week. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of of this darkness, against evil, against spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. Having prepared everything, take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that, I'm, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I'm sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. Father, I thank you for this time. 
Lord, I'm just, I'm just so in, in awe of what you've done this week in our lives and the camaraderie and the relationships that were built just in a week. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we continue to move forward and beyond this place. God, I ask that you help us to really see what the word of God has for us tonight and what it means for us going forward and what it means to put on this full spiritual armor of God so that we'll be able to win the spiritual war against the devil. Father, I pray for Cornerstone. I thank you that they come here as a church family. Lord, I pray for Pastor Bill and Pastor Andy and Pastor Joe as they, as they lead this church. Lord, I pray that you just uh, be with the leaders and those that are just uh, continuing to see their lives changed by the ministry at Cornerstone. Lord, I pray that you wouldn't deny them the opportunity to win Kensington for you. So Lord, keep them, keep them strong. Keep them in the center of your will. Keep them unified and together. Lord, I thank you for all my friends in the colony and my friends in the barber's place and those that are here for the week. God, I pray that you would help us to realize that sobriety and cleanness is beyond just the steps of recovery. It's essential for our spiritual life. Help us to fight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this, this final subject that, that Paul brings up in this letter is he urges believers to be strong. He tells them to be strong in the Lord. He tells them to be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. So, so I remember um, my, uh, I was playing basketball with my cousin and my cousin is this, is this big dude, and he had a ba- and he lived in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and um, he had this this, this uh, basketball hoop in his backyard. And I remember we were we were, we were playing, and uh, none of us. I mean, he, he was a really big dude, but he ne- he didn't like play basketball. He was more like the guy that would have the he would create a drone to fly over the basketball court. Like he was he was he was a geek before geeks were cool, right? Um, but it, you know, he was a big guy, and we were playing basketball, and he fell and he fell hard, and and, and, he, and he busted his knee open, right? And dude, like he's a big dude, but I mean, I, th- I don't think we were any older than 12 years old and he's on the floor crying and like crying uncontrollably. And I'm like, dude, it's like Brooklyn concrete. I understand why you're crying hard. And, and my uncle comes up to him and he goes, tells him, be a man, be a man, stop crying. And it was like, he was telling him to be strong when like we basically saw the bones of his kneecap. You know what I'm saying? Like he was, it hurt, be strong. And I think sometimes you and I try to be strong but we forget that our strength is supposed to come from the Lord. Sometimes we're, try, we're trying to just like, to like really just rough it out and try, yeah, we're gonna get there. I'm gonna do this by, by brute strength. I'm just, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna stop sinning. I'm just gonna stop. And what happens? We sin further and deeper and worse. Why? Because we forget that strength comes from the Lord, not from us. So Paul makes clear, hey, finally, be strengthened in the Lord. But then he says this, by why? By his vast strength. One of the things that you and I have to comprehend and for some of us is to finally relinquish is that God does not need our help, right? So when we say things like be strong in the Lord, what we have to understand is not only can God handle our issues, his burden has always been light, the Bible says. We don't, we don't help God out. Right? We don't, we don't have to go to God. God. God doesn't need my problems today. You know what that is? That, that, that's just a, a pseudo sense of, of humility. We're supposed to cast all of our burdens onto the Lord. Why? Because he can handle it. And he can deal with it. 
And so when Paul says that to, to, to be strengthened by the Lord and the, and the power of, of his might, by his, by his vast strength, Paul is saying, finally, put all of the things that we've been talking about and finally be that mature believer that realizes that you can't handle it. And so before we even get into talking about how would we put on armor, how would, be, how would we take on the helmet of salvation, how would the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, before we think about any of that, the first thing we have to realize is whether or not we're putting our strength in the Lord. Are we, are, are we grasping what it means to surrender ourselves to finally have God's strength instead of our own? Remember, we've talked about the replacements, right? that we've replaced bad for good with Jesus. We, we, we got in his righteousness instead of ours, and so now we have to replace our strength with his strength. His strength doesn't run out. His strength can handle the situation. His, his strength is the strength that we need to stand against what the devil throws at us. So one of the first things that I think that we don't see in this war is how we're losing the battle already because we're not fighting with the right strength. Are you willing tonight to give up your strength, to give up your talents, to give up what you think you can give to God and realize God has equipped you the way he wants to equip you, so let him let those things come out? Sometimes I think when we, when we, when we think about our spiritual gifts and our spiritual talents, sometimes I think we think we come up with those and we submit them to God and go, here God, use them. And God's like, I don't need that. Just give me a blank sheet of paper, sign your name, and I'll fill out the list. There's a difference between us saying, here's what our talents are, God use them, and saying, God, show me how you made me. That's relying on his strength instead of ours. When it comes to spiritual warfare, we cannot sufficiently be strong on our own. If we're going to have adequate, sufficient strength to win spiritual battles, it has to be in the strength that doesn't belong to us. Only Jesus has what the Bible describes in Ephesians chapter 6 as the mighty power of God that's sufficient to do what? Win spiritual battles against what? We're talking about a demonic enemy. We're talking about something bigger than us. So verse 11, he continues and he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can do what? Stand against the schemes of the devil. So the way that you and I know that we're being strong in the Lord is when we start putting on the armor that God gives us. Right? That we don't go out thinking that the armor that we have, the strength that we have, the equipment that we think is the best, that we think, no, no, no. we're going to put on what God gives us. And you have to realize something about the devil. The devil is a deceiver, right? The devil is a destroyer. So he deceives us in order to destroy. And so when we put on the armor, it's, it's the, the metaphor for putting on the armor of God, the best way that I think that we can describe it is this, that we follow the instructions from Scripture. That's what it means to put on the armor of God, that we follow what the Bible says about God and about his word and about the, the stuff that he gives us. So this, this armor that we put on is an armor that's eternal. It's an armor that, that's been tested. It's an armor that was not created by us. But it's an armor that fits exactly where it needs to fit. 
It's an armor that was made for you. It's the armor that saved you. It's the armor that, that keeps you safe and comforts you and encourages you and teaches you. It's your armor. So the stuff that you call your armor now isn't really your armor. Put on ones that fit. Verse 12. For our struggle, who here struggles? Raise your hand, right? Okay, our struggle, right? Who here got issues? Yeah, who here got baggage? Okay, right, so, okay. So I want you to think about all these issues, all this baggage, all the trauma, all the stuff that we have, okay? All the things that we have right now in our life. I want you to realize what verse 12 says. Our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood. So what you see, what you feel, what you experienced is just the tip of the iceberg of what's actually going on. Do you understand that? I'll say it again. What we go through on a physical plane is only the beginning of what's actually happening. There's something that's stronger, more powerful, and more deeply connected to the spiritual realm. So much so, here's how the Bible describes it, but against what, rulers? against authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil forces in the heavens. The reason we need armor, okay? The reason why you need to have the right type of armor is that our, because our struggle isn't against the stuff that we think is happening, okay? So here's how our mind works. I've been hurt. I've been wounded, I've been abused, and so I think I need this armor, right? And that armor comes from insecurity, that armor comes from fear, that armor comes from trauma, that armor comes from us, and we are jaded and broken, and you don't want armor that's jaded and broken, you need armor that's going to work. And so the problem is when we look at this armor that has nothing to do with what's really going on, uh, the armor that we pick is, is, is superficial at best. And because with those of us that have been dealing with our trauma and, and going through having real deep trauma counseling based on the word of God, you know there's way more going on than what's at the surface, right? So here's the thing, when you realize that and you start working your recovery, what do you realize? The problems are deeper, the war is stronger, and so why would you stick with this junky armor when you know you need something better? Right? Our armor that we make by ourselves has chinks in it. It's got holes. It's bootleg. It's not real. It'll work like for a day. I was thinking about James Serpico, uh, or whatever his name is for this week, right? Rain, rainforest guy, right? All those outfits that he got are all from Amazon, right? I'm praying those outfits last for five weeks. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, when you buy that stuff from Amazon, you put it in the wash once, what happens? Sleeves come off, right? Threads come off, right? It's that ghetto stuff, right? It works. But some of us, that, that's the armor that we have. It's that ghetto stuff that we think is going to work, right? 
It's like buying from Jimmy Jazz, you know, instead of getting stuff from the real spot. You gotta be careful. It's not, you gotta make sure it's real. And the thing is though, real stuff is made by real people who know what they're doing, not us. Why do we always think we're fashion experts when it comes to spiritual armor? We're not. We're not. And so God says, put on the armor. Why? Because our struggle is not against the stuff that we think it is. It's not against this tangible stuff, this flesh and blood stuff. It's not that. It includes that. Our trauma is real. Our issues are real. Struggles are real. There are 24 hours a day that we've been through a lot of stuff, but it's not the real battle. It's a byproduct of what's really going on. So this picture of warfare implies that we don't face a physical army. We face what kind of army? A spiritual one. And there are we so the weapons have to be spiritual. Remember, rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world against spiritual forces of evil, where? In heavenly realms. So like there's this, it seems like there's this hierarchy of evil spirit beings who do the bidding of Satan to oppose what? The will of God and the people of God. Satan's come to fight. What are we doing? Satan's come to brawl. Are we ready? Because some of us, you know, we, we think we are and we're not. Or some of us, we're so far away, the fight hasn't even come to us yet. And for some of us, we've already, we're already losing and don't even know it. So verse 13 says, you have to take on the full armor of God. Take it up. This is a word, an action word. We take it up. We have to put it on so that we're able to do what? To resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to do what? Take our stand. One of the things I love how the Bible says it is that we're not, we're not going to automatically win. Or that we're not going to, like it doesn't say, you know, you know it's not, it's not, it's not like we're going to knock Satan out, right? It just says we're going to do what? Stand. Right? That, uh, aren't you glad that God isn't looking for perfection? Aren't you glad that God isn't like that overbearing, you know, egotistical father that only gives his son ice cream if they win the baseball game? God's just like, you stand in my arm. I just want you to stand. The armor I'm going to give you is just, you're just going to stand. You're not going to be taking, you know, you're not going to be taking victory laps. You're not going to be doing a parade. Where you, no, you're just going to stand. That's all I need you to do is stand. The armor is to stand. And so when we've obeyed all of the instructions, remember that putting on the armor of God is, is obeying the instructions of the word of God. When we do this and we put on the full armor of God, God says, his word says that we can resist what? Satan's attempts to do what? To deceive and to destroy us. That's the goal. And this day of evil is any time in this era in history until Jesus returns. And so all the days of, of evil are, every day has this potential for evil. Every day has evil as a reality where, where, where Satan and his demons decide to use it to attack us. Every day is like this. There is no letting up. There, there, are, no, there are no vacations from this. Every day... Satan is doing whatever he can to deceive and to destroy. This war is real. And Satan is in it for the long haul. 
This is why we need to obey the word of God and put the full armor of God because we can't on our own handle this. So the implication that that Paul is making is that if a Christian has what? Has this armor on, he has the ability to do what? Stand firm. Not, not, not Not to lunge, not to win, not to gloat, but to stand. And that we, that, we, that we don't move. And so sometimes this spiritual warfare we find ourselves in, it might be frightening, right? It may, it's going to feel like, 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 like we're losing. However, the only thing we have to fear is what? If we have the armor in place, the fear that we have, right? Because God says what? If we put on the armor, we'll be able to stand. And sometimes standing firm is, is scary, Right? You think about those soldiers in the Roman, in, in the Roman army that, that, were, that advanced just a few inches at a time and had to put their shields together. We'll talk about that in a second. And they advanced slowly where the fiery darts with all the stuff that's coming at them, they are in the middle of a war zone and the only thing protecting them is their armor together. It's not like the, the arrows stop. It's not like someone's still trying to attack them. It's not like someone's trying to knock their head off. They're just standing together and they're making it through. It's not like, it's like, like there's unicorns and butterflies. It's some scary stuff. But they're standing. Life is going to be scary. Following Jesus is sometimes crazy town. Those who follow the Savior closely have a huge target on their back. Those who know Jesus, Satan knows he can't have your soul. He's going to do everything to destroy your life. So how do we stand? How do we stand firm? John, uh, 1 John 4, 4 says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Uh, James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Peter says this, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. All these guys have the exact same thing that's utterly consistent in Scripture. If we have the armor of God on, we're able to do what? Stand firm in order for what to happen? To resist the devil. Right? Right? And while we're resisting, he flees. Right? That's the point. You stand in order to have Satan flee. We stand in order for him to retreat. And this is going to be a thing that continues to happen. Satan's going to try again. We stand, he retreats, he comes back. That's the way it works. So verse 14, after we put this armor on, we stand. And then he starts building out what this armor is. Okay, so the first one, let's look at it. With, the, with truth like a belt around your waist. So this pictures a large leather belt that the Roman soldier would wear. Um, it held all the other weapons. I rem- it kind of reminds me of like uh, on, uh, on Batman's uniform, that utility belt that he has. All this, you know, like how does Batman have all that stuff on his belt, by the way, right? I mean, it's like he hits one button, it's like, another one comes up, it's like, how big is this belt, Right? That's what Roman soldiers did the exact same thing. Everything they needed was on this belt, and this belt kept everything else in place. It kept the outer garments in place because what you don't want in a battlefield is for your pants to fall down, right? I mean, that's just, you know, it's just not only embarrassing, you know, God, God has given us a belt to keep our pants up, right? Because the worst thing in the world is for a Christian who's embarrassing to the Father. 
So God gives us something to keep everything straight. He gives us the belt. And what is this belt? Truth. You want to keep your life straight? Be truthful. About who you are, about who Jesus is. Be truthful. Get in the word. Know how to continue to remain truthful. Be honest. Be someone who has his life guarded, guided by what? The truth. Not opinion. The truth. Not emotion. The truth. Not whatever you think your identity is, but your identity is in who? What's the truth? Your identity is in who? Jesus. That's what the belt does. So we accept the truth of God's word, and what do we do? We follow it with integrity. That it's not just we know what the word of God says, and we spoke a little about this morning at BP, if you guys remember, we don't manipulate the word of God to say what we want it to say to make us feel better. We take it at face value. We let the word of God change us, not the other way around, right? Because some of us, we are, we are gifted at manipulation, and we've manipulated people, we've manipulated circumstances, we've done our best to get ourselves out of trouble, but the problem is that, 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 that character defect of manipulation also happens when you approach the Word of God. And so all of a sudden, you're seeing things that the Holy Spirit ain't telling you is there, but you see it clear as day. Why? Because you've now manipulated yourself. So the belt of truth guards against that. That we line everything up, everything has to go under the microscope of what? The Word of God. That's what keeps us in line. So we have the belt of truth. And then we have what? The breastplate of righteousness. What does this picture? Well, this picture is this metal armor that's in the shape of a human torso that's common to the Roman uniform. You've seen movies, right? You, you know, you know, or you've been to, whoever, whoever had been to the Christian bookstore and the kid could buy like the, the suit of armor. When I was a kid, you could buy it. It was like $69.99 though, so my dad never got it for me, right? He's here. It's okay. He, yeah. But, you know, I mean, that, that was, that's a lot of money, right? But you know what I'm talking about. You've seen a breastplate of righteousness before, right? What does it do? The breastplate is to guard all the important stuff, right? And to put on a breastplate is to not harbor nature or, or not harbor or nature known sin. Because what is it? A breastplate of righteousness. How do you protect the most important, the important parts of your life? Don't harbor sin. Live righteously. Follow the commands of the word of God. Don't say you're a soldier of God and live like the devil. You know what I'm saying? Don't be that Sunday morning, hallelujah, Monday morning, cussing out everybody. You know what I mean? Come on, like, let, let, let's be real about this. The breastplate of righteousness, righteousness protects you. And thank God we don't live in our own righteousness. We live in the righteousness that comes by faith in who? Jesus Christ. We have his righteousness. This breastplate that we put on is his righteousness. But we live in that righteousness. We have the status of righteousness because of Jesus, but we live in the truth of that righteousness because we follow Jesus. So the next thing it talks about here is feet fitted with the readiness. This idea of these hobnailed shoes that kept soldiers in battle. It wasn't... It wasn't a sandal so much. It wasn't a sneaker. It wasn't a pair of Tims. It was kind of like this multi-purpose, like cross-training shoe that had like spikes in it so that, you know, when you stood, you didn't move. You know what I mean? Because that's the most, I mean, in battle, right? I mean, the worst thing in the world is to have kicks that's not going to keep you still. That would be horrible, right? All of a sudden, like advance and you're sliding backwards. 
So what does it talk about when he's talking about these shoes? These, these were important. To put these shoes on would mean to do what? That your feet are fitted. So first of all, the shoes had to fit, right? So you didn't have shoes that were too big or too small. These shoes were for you, and they were prepared for something. They were prepared to, remember, what's the preparation? To do what? To stand. So these shoes had to keep you in place. And so for us, what is it to be fit with the gospel of peace? That the promises of God and the gospel, what is it? For hope, it's us that we're counting on what God says is true. Right? How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel of peace. That when we keep the the, the gospel as the center of our life, that's what we're standing in. Man, like I told you, you can't stand against the devil by just going, all right, he's not going to get me. Right? Oh, man, I hope what Pastor Bill said is true. Right? I mean, that's not what it's supposed to be. What is it? I know I'm a child of God. I know my sins are forgiven. I know my life is a mess, but I know that God straightens it out. Friends may leave me. I may not have anybody else, but I know that I have Jesus as my Savior, that the Holy Spirit has sealed me, and so I can stand in that. That's that's what it is, that we stand because we know who we've believed. That's what it means to stand. It's not gloating. It's not acting like you're better than people. It's not trying to advance when God says to stand. We stand. We stand firm. What is this shield of faith? So this is a smaller shield. It's the round shield that you've seen that, that show that's the soldiers, Roman soldiers would have. It's to do what? Deflect blows that are coming directly at you. So this is not the ones that link together to protect the fiery darts. This is the one like when everything else fails, it's just you another guy. You're like, oh, snap. You like that, you know, because he's coming at you. Like you put it up. That's what it is. It's sometimes the last line of defense you got, right? And what does this shield do? It's small. It's, it's supposed to be so you can move it around and wherever that sword's coming, you can move with it. It's supposed to stop an arrow. It can stop a spear. It can stop a sword. And so to take up this shield is to do what? It's the shield of what? Faith. So what is the opposite of faith? Doubt, sin, and quitting. So what does this, what does this shield, it, it tell, you begin to preach to yourself the truth of the gospel and you choose to live your life of faith based on the truth of God's word. The devil says you're nothing, you go, nah, I'm something. The devil says you ain't gonna make it, nah, I'm gonna make it. Well, why are you gonna make it? You, you ain't nothing, Christ is everything. Every time somebody, every time something tries to knock you down, the shield of faith comes up and you go, no, 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 that's not what the Bible says about me. That's not what the Bible says about this situation. I have more than victory in Christ Jesus. But the thing is, if we're relying on phrases and mantras and not getting into the word, that shield ain't going to do that much good. Don't have a fake shield. Don't have one that looks like the real one because you, you think you know what scripture says. Get in the book. You gotta get in the board. If you're not in the word, you're not gonna have a shield of faith. Your faith is gonna be rocky. Your faith is gonna be chintzy. It ain't, it ain't gonna last. 
You could try it. Try it if you want. I'm telling you. But it's going to end with that shield just, just failing before you. Have the true shield of faith. Faith cometh from the word of God. And choosing the basis of truth to do the right thing. Verse 17 talks about the helmet of salvation. This picture is the, the, the Roman soldier uh, has, who has that, what is it? It's just metal protective headgear, right? It, 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 it does not, I know that it talks about the salvation in Christ, but 1 Thessalonians talks about the helmet being the hope of salvation, which is a parallel idea. So I want us to think about the helmet of salvation as us resting in hope for the future and living in this word according to the value system of that. So it's not this. It's not like you put on the helmet of salvation, that means you're saved, right? No, because it doesn't, what did Ephesians tell us? God chose us and saved us and keeps us saved. We can't take it on or off if that's what it means. So putting on the helmet of salvation is to live with the protection that it's true and, 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 and what you think and how you feel and how you act lives your life based on the truth about yourself. It's the hope, the faith for the future that I'm on my way to heaven. That hope protects me. Because anything, anything that we can put on, we can also do what? Take off. So we're not talking about our relationship with Jesus. We're talking about living in the hope of the relationship that was established by God himself. So we live in settledness that we have been chosen by God. That's what it means to have the helmet of salvation. We live according to the, we live our life with the value system of heaven, not the value system of this world. Because we are no longer citizens of this world, we're citizens of where? Heaven. So the sword of the spirit. So the sword is the only offensive weapon in any of this, right? Everything else has been to protect us, but the sword of the spirit is basically, this is the soldier's weapon, and, it, and, and it's sheathed in his belt, and it's used for mostly offensive purposes. Now, obviously, if the shield has been f fell off and everything's gone, the sword is also going to be used for defense, because that's all you have left, right? But an, the only thing that the soldier can use to advance is this sword. And so when we take the sword of who? The Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, and, and, divine, and de uh, define for us as what? The Spirit of what? what it, where does the Spirit teach us? Where? In the word of God, right? So what, what is the Spirit's job for a believer? To convict and to instruct us in what? The word of God. Remember, the word of God and the Spirit of God go hand in hand. God's normal mode for speaking to us is through the Spirit of God with the word of God. So if that's true, when we have the Spirit of God, and we have the sword of the Spirit, is that we use the Scripture specifically in life's situations to do what? Fend off attacks from the enemy. What's Satan trying to do? Deceive and do what? Destroy. So what does the sword help us do? To fend off the attacks whenever those come. If we don't have the Word of God, if we're not being taught by the Spirit of God, if we're not, if we're not allowing the Word of God to change us daily, we can't expect success or victory in battle. It's not going to happen. Verse 18 says, if you want to read it with me, pray at all times. In what? 
the Spirit, okay, with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Okay, we've been talking a lot about battling, right? A lot about fighting, a lot about armor, a lot about gear, a lot about all that stuff, right? But in the, at the end of the list, what does he say you need to do? Pray. See, praying has a lot to do with standing. Because when you pray, you're waiting to do what? Receive instruction. Right? You're connected to the Father. He talks to you through the Word. You talk to Him through prayer. And while you're praying, you're connected with Him. You're communicating with the Father. There's no advancement. It's standing. And He says, while we pray... And while we're preparing to do battle, we're on the alert. We're always praying. We petition God for our own needs in the battle, and we pray for the spiritual victory of others. Standing involves us praying for us to stand and praying for others to stand. That's what Sam talked about when we build a community, right? We're all standing together. The idea isn't just us alone on, on, on some mountaintop with the armies of the, of the Satan coming after us alone. There's a bunch of us rolling deep having this happening too. It's not just you. We're all together. We're all going through the same stuff. It may not manifest stuff, manifest itself in the same way, but we're all going through it. So we stand together. We pray for one another. And then Paul basically finishes by doing what? Asking for prayer. He says, hey, pray for my ministry too. Pray that I... I love how Paul gives all this instructions but goes, yo, I need this too. Like Paul makes a decision every day for himself to put on the full armor of God. You ever thought about that? Paul, the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, says, hey, pray for me. I got to stand too. Pray for me that I put the armor on. Isn't it a beautiful picture that the church is fighting and they're also, Paul's fighting at the same time and they're praying for each other on the same battlefield? That's the picture, that we're all doing it together. He sought courage from prayer to do what? Proclaim the gospel even to those in prison. Now, what's Paul's fight? Paul's locked up. Paul's in prison. Paul's in chains. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. But he says, pray for boldness that I'll put on the full armor of God and I'll pray for what? That I have courage and, and conviction to preach the truth even while I'm in jail. Wow. Paul's asking to stand. Paul, you never, isn't it funny how Paul never asks to be released? He asks, he does, he has hope. He goes, I hope one day to come see y'all. Right? He does say that. But he's never like, please pray that the chains fall off. He's like, no, pray that I'm productive while I'm here. One of the parts about standing firm is you recognize where you are. You're not hoping about where you're going to go. Standing firm means you know exactly where God wants you to be. You're not looking for, so you're not looking for your next vacation spot or looking for a better ministry assignment. You're like, yo, this is where God has me. I'm standing here. There's a reason why God has you here. You guys know that, right? There's a reason. Some days you wake up, I don't know why I'm here. Pray for a few minutes. God will let you know. And if he doesn't, he'll just say, hey, I'll show you. Just let's, go, let's get to the day. Stand. Just stand. All I need you to do is stand. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That, that daily, that daily walk that daily office that we have to have with him. So he closes up the letter and we're done. It says in verse 21, Tychicus, our dear beloved brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. 
I'm sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. So the way that it works is Paul would write a letter, usually because somebody wrote him a letter, right? And he would bring one of his, he had some faithful companions that either were staying in houses near where he was imprisoned or they would come visit. He was allowed to have visitors. And so what they would do is he would write, he would get a letter from them, he would write a letter back and then somebody would bring the letter. And so in this case, it was a man by the name of Tychicus. And so he sends him, with this letter and also a benediction, a prayer. And so he serves, Tychicus has served for a messenger for Paul for, and the book of Acts says that that he's with him for a while. So he may have carried this letter from Paul to Ephesus. And so he said, hey, Tychicus will let you know how I am. He's seen me. I know I'm writing it, but he'll let you know physically how I am. And so he says in in verse uh, verse 12, I mean, in verse 22, he says, I'm sending him for, for you to know how we are and to encourage your hearts. And this is the thing that I, that, I, that I love about the Apostle Paul. Paul was looking to encourage people by just saying, hey, here's what's going on. No, it's not perfect. Yes, I'm in jail. Yes, I probably have bruises. Yes, I'm probably malnour- malnourished, all that stuff. But yes, yo, but here's how many people got saved while I was here. Like here's, like here's the people who like, like I, I've led to the Lord while I'm in jail. Here's what God has been doing. Here's what I was able to write to this church. Here's what this church wrote me, and here's what I was able to write back. I'm telling you, the gospel is going forth in the middle of all this junk. Like that's, that's the encouragement that he wants to be. So what I want to encourage you guys is this. God has moved this week in your life, hopefully, Right? And hopefully he's been teaching you some things. And those of you, uh, my, my brothers in the colony, my sisters in BP, God is doing amazing things in your life right now. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Especially in times of public testimony where you get to share what God is doing, let's keep it God-centered, not self-centered. And that's easier said than done. Because here, you want to say all that God is doing in your life, but let's keep the focus on him, not on us. So even when you're writing it out and you're like, man, God's done this, God does this. If it starts sounding like, well, I feel and I do, scratch it out. God is doing. God has moved. God, you know, I, you know, I, I am more secure in my relationship with him. And then start talking about what that is. And those of you from Cornerstone, when you get back home and people say, hey, how was camp? How was this? Man, God moved. Man, God did this. Here are some of the decisions that, that God moved me to make in my life. Always keep it about him. Because that's what the book of, uh, the, the letter to the, the Ephesian church was all about. That it is his story, not ours. And that we are chosen, that we are accepted in the beloved, that, that we, have, we have these unmeasurable riches in Christ Jesus. But when it comes down to it, the story has always been about him loving us, not the other way around. And so it's our privilege with humility and patience and gentleness and the forbearance of love that when we talk about what God has done in our life, to keep him the main thing, not us. My friends, thank you for this time. Let's pray. Father, I am, I'm just so in awe of you and how you've worked in our life. Lord, I pray that you help my dear brothers and sisters really take to heart what we've learned in, in a new and an amazing way and on a daily level. 
with our heads bowed and eyes closed, just a quick recap. I just want to ask you a couple of questions. First one is this. If God spoke to you, would you take a few minutes and talk to him what he's talked to you about right now? For some of us, it's surrender. For some of us, it's just a re just revival. A lot of us, hopefully, it's repentance. Just talk to God about what he's talked to you about. And while you're talking to God, if you say, Rob, you know, I really, I, I really just, I need you to pray for me because there's some heavy things that are, that's going on right now. Can you please pray for me while we're praying? Would you raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. Thanks. Good. How many would say, I'm, I'm, my, my, my prayer really is a prayer of repentance. I got to change. I need God to change me. I'm surrendering more to him right now. Would you raise your hand? Great. Father, I, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters. I pray that you continue to challenge and convict them, that you would comfort and revive them. Lord, I pray for a revival and renewal that comes from repentance. God, I do pray for my dear brothers in the colony. I pray that you continue to, to speak to them and to encourage them and bless them and convict them and help them in their, in, in their recovery. Lord, that they would be a light to the rest of the world. I pray for my dear sisters at Barbara's Place that the same thing would happen such precious ladies, Lord, and I pray that you continue to help them be the lighthouse that you're making them. Lord, I do pray for my, my, my peeps at Cornerstone, my family. I pray that you just help them to not only remain strong, but just continue to just flourish and grow and that we would see just, just, just Jesus reach Kensington, Lord. Lord, I pray for all, all the, I pray for the ministry here at Keswick. Lord, I pray that you would continue to Help us all, Lord, uh, from the board down to uh, recognize what you're doing, especially in times of transition and, and just, just the future. Lord, I pray that you, you help us to see how you're sovereign in all of it and that this is your story. So God, I ask that you comfort and guide us. In the name of Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.